Let's pray and ask God to help us. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us your word, the Bible. Please help us today to understand what this passage is saying and to apply it to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Generosity is a funny thing. Um, Generosity is a thing that most of us are all for in principle. We prefer generous people to miserly people. We like the idea of being generous. But when it comes to actually coughing up, suddenly generosity doesn't seem quite so attractive, does it? Suddenly you remember uh, how hard it was to earn all that money. Suddenly you remember all of the good things you could do for yourself with that money. We like the concept of generosity. We can see it's a good thing, but there's something in us that doesn't actually want to be generous. I reckon journalist Mignon McLaughlin puts it very well. She says, she says, we'd all like a reputation for generosity and we'd all like to buy it cheap. We'd all like a reputation for generosity and we'd all like to buy it cheap. We like the idea, but actually being generous is not quite so easy, is it? In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 to 9, in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in ancient Corinth, this, uh, this man called Paul who's writing it, he's calling on this church to be generous. And he's giving some of the reasons why Christian people should be generous. And what was happening was this. Um, Paul was collecting money from some of the Gentile churches, that is, the churches where the people were not Jewish. He was taking money from some of the Gentile churches, in, in basically in Greece, Macedonia and Achaia, and he was taking the money across to the, to the kind of the original church where the Jerusalem Jewish Christians were. And the reason he was doing it was to try to sort out a big issue that was happening in the early church. Most of the early church was Jewish, Jesus, all the apostles, all that kind of thing. But over time, Gentiles started to get interested in Christianity. Non-Jewish people started to become interested in Christianity. The thing is, Jews and Gentiles, particularly in those times, were very, very different. The Jews of the day, quite moral people. They worshipped one God, they ate kosher foods, they had a very high view of marriage and family, something we take for granted today, but which just didn't exist in most of the world, very high view of marriage and family. But Gentiles, people like the Corinthians, they were awful. (laughs) They ate anything they could get their hands on, they worshipped idols, And then to them, religion, I don't know what you think of when you think of coming to church or religion or something like that, for them, religion was you go to the temple and you have sex with a prostitute. That was religion. Uh, In a previous letter to the Corinthians, Paul described what they were like. He said, some of you were adulterers, some were homosexuals, some were thieves and swindlers, some were alcoholics, some were greedy, some were gossips, some were slanderers. That that was was Gentile life, non-Jewish life of the day. Uh, The Jews thought the Gentiles were pretty disgusting. And so the idea of allowing Gentiles into the church, which of course is a fundamentally Jewish thing still in those days, the idea of allowing Gentiles into the church, it was a real challenge for the Jewish Christians. I mean, how would you get them to behave themselves? The answer that many of them came up with was this. What you've got to do is make them into Jews. Make them obey the Jewish laws. Make them obey the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. Make them be Jewish as well as Christian. But the Apostle Paul disagreed. Paul argued there's only one thing you need to be a Christian, and that is to rely on what Jesus has done on his death and resurrection. Paul said Jesus is enough, 
Not only to make you a Christian, Jesus can actually transform and change you into the person God wants you to be. Just Jesus, said Paul. Not Jesus plus Judaism, just Jesus. That was his line. And the other apostles, they actually agreed with Paul, but it was still a big issue in the early church. Now, meanwhile, historically, historically what was happening is the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they were struggling, they were doing it tough, they were poor. And meanwhile, some of the Gentile churches, they were doing really well financially, they were wealthy. And so Paul came up with this idea, very simple idea, get the Gentile churches to send money to the Jewish Christians. Simple, but the more you think about it, the more brilliant it is. It's a great exercise for the Gentile churches. It's a way of them showing generosity and saying thank you to the Jewish Christians for giving them Jesus and and giving them Christianity. And then on the other side, for the Jewish Christians, it's a way that they can see firsthand how these Gentiles have been changed, not by being Jewish, but by relying on Jesus. Now suddenly these terrible people are turning into godly, generous people who are actually helping them. Can you see the, 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 the genius of this gift? All right, well, last week we saw there was a bit of a problem. Uh, Paul went to the Corinthian church, told them about his idea, and they said, great idea, Paul, we're in it. And they pledged, like in some telethon or something, they pledged big money towards it. The problem is, Paul's friend Titus has just come back to him. He's now in Macedonia. Paul's friend Titus has just come back to him and he said, Paul, uh, you know that money that the Corinthians pledged? They haven't come up with the goods. Um, And and so what Paul's doing in chapters 8 to 9 here. He's encouraging the Corinthians to give generously what they promised they would give the year before. He's given all sorts of reasons why they should do it. We saw a whole heap last week. But now in this last part of chapter 9, he's giving two final reasons why the Corinthians should be generous. Okay, so it's a lot of background, but have I put put you in the picture of what's going on here in this chapter? There's this collection. The Corinthians have promised to give, but it doesn't look like they're going to cough up. And so in this section we're looking at now, Paul's giving two final reasons why they should be generous, do what they promise. It's like one of those ads after a telethon. You know, you have the telethon and all all the big bands playing and everything. Everyone gets very excited and they ring in with all these promises. But then you need television ads for the next three or four weeks to tell people, you know how you promised all that money, you better actually give the money because the promise is not going to do us any good. That's what's going on here. Okay, so two reasons. The first reason is in verses 6 to 11. If I, had to, if I had to put it in a sentence for you, it would be this. Paul is saying to the, to the Corinthians, generosity enriches you. Generosity enriches you. A generous person has a richer life than a stingy miser. Now, Paul starts off with a couple of proverbs. They're actually based on proverbs in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The first one's a farming proverb. Uh, if you sow only a, a couple of seeds, you'll only get a small crop. But if you sow lots of seeds, everything else being equal, no drought, etc., then, then you, will get, you will reap a much bigger harvest. That's the first proverb. The second proverb, again out of the book of Proverbs, says that God loves or God blesses a cheerful giver. He's not interested in stingy people. God wants a cheerful giver. And so in the light of these proverbs, Paul says to the Corinthians, look, you decided what you were going to give last year, now give it, and not with whinging, to, with, with cheerfulness. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Have a look with me. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, 
what they decided last year. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So some proverbs. The, the, next, the next section pulls, uh, moves from thinking about proverbs to thinking about a psalm. And this is the psalm that uh, was read for us before. I think Shalene read for us before. Psalm 112. Now, psalm 112, it's, it's like a word picture of a godly Jewish man. He's living in the promised land and he is a, a fat, jolly, generous, lovely bloke that everybody loves. He, 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 he trusts in God and because he trusts in God, he's not stingy. He just gives generously, relies on God to keep on giving to him. And the thing is, and this is the, Paul, the point that Paul is making, it's not like he runs out of stuff in Psalm 112. His generosity doesn't leave him poor. No way. It, it enriches his life. God blesses him and he has a life full of, of joy and of love and of rich relationships. So Paul says to the Corinthians, God is not poor. If you, if you want to do good works, God will give you what you need. If you want to give to this collection, God will enable you. Like he did for the bloke in Psalm 112, he can do it for you. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and here's the quote from the righteous man in, uh, about the righteous man in Psalm 112, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Verses 10 to 11, Paul says it again. God is able to give you what you need to be generous. Indeed, he says God is able to enrich you in every way. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Okay, so there's first, Paul's first point. Did you get the point? Um, the Corinthians should generously give what they promised because generosity enriches your life. God is able to provide for his people. People who, who trust in God to give them what they need and so are generous with, with what they have, they don't live poor lives. They live rich lives. God blesses them. Uh, they grow in their trust in God. They grow in righteousness. As they do good works, people love them. They have the joy of giving. It, it enriches your life. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, as I talk about these benefits of generosity, I'm not going on like some televangelist about how if you give me $10, God will give you $100 or some such nonsense. This is not talking about the amount of money you have. This is proverbial wisdom. And the fact is, it's just true. You can have lots and lots of money. And if you're a sting, you might get more money. But the fact is, and you know it's true, your life will be impoverished, won't it? As you stingily count up every cent that you've got, as you anxiously worry about every cent that you give, you're not trusting in God's provision. Uh, you don't have the joy of giving. You don't have the riches of a relationship. People don't like you. Um, stinginess might be a more effective way of gathering stuff, but it brings you a narrow, lonely, pinched life. On the other hand, you can be poor. And being a cheerful and generous giver might make you poorer. It might be making sacrifices. But your life will be enriched in terms of your trust in God, in terms of your relationships. That's point number one. Point number two goes uh, from halfway through verse 11 for the rest of, the, uh, for the rest of this chapter. And he moves, Paul's going into the second reason why the Corinthians need to be generous. This time the focus is not on what it'll do for them. This time the focus is on what it'll do for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Again, if I have to put it in a sentence, the, the reason is this. 
as the Corinthians showed generosity, that will demonstrate to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that Jesus has changed them. Their gift will demonstrate to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that Jesus has changed them. Paul starts off in verse 11 by saying that when he brings their generous gift to Jerusalem, the church will give thanks to God. Halfway through verse 11. Verse 11. And through us, that's through Paul and the people who bring the gift to Jerusalem, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul then explains what he means. By sending this money, the Gentile churches, they're helping the poor Jewish Christians financially, and that's good, but they're doing way more than that. They're showing the Jewish Christians that they are now different because of Jesus. They are, as Paul puts it, proving themselves. They are, they're demonstrating what Paul calls the obedience that accompanies their confession of the gospel of Christ. Very significant statement, because remember this, the Jewish Christians think the Gentiles are disgusting and they've got to make them all into Jews so they'll start being nice. Right? But as the, Jewish, as, as the Gentile Christians are giving this gift, the Jewish Christians can now say, hey, we didn't have to make them Jews. Jesus has made them nice. All right? Jesus has made them godly. The confession of the gospel of Christ has made them obedient. And so as they receive this gift, Paul says the Jewish Christians will praise God for their generosity and also for the way he's transformed them through Jesus. Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God, and get this, for the obedience that accompanies, not your submission to Jewish law, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See what's going on? Their generosity will convince these people that they're feeding him Christians. And, and so as the, the Jewish Christians pray for them, they'll pray for them, their hearts will go out to them, they'll recognise they're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow recipients of the grace of God. Verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And so Paul finishes off by thanking God for this gift, this gift that God has given them of Jesus, Jesus who's not only saved them and pardoned them and forgiven them, but Jesus who's transforming them, transforming them from, from immoral, pagan, disgusting people, uh, transforming them into generous, godly people like the, the, the man in Psalm 112. What a gift, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, can you see the two reasons then why the Corinthians should be generous? Number one, it'll enrich their lives Number two, it'll show the Jewish Christians that they're feeding income Christians. Now, let's think about how this might apply to us today. As we think about applying this passage, we've got to be very careful, as we saw last week. Um, Paul is talking about a specific collection that he was organising for a specific time with a specific church at a specific point in church history to deal with a specific issue. And there's a sense in which what he's saying here, there's a sense in which what he's saying here, it doesn't apply to us. I, I am not encouraging you and will not encourage you to, to take up a collection to give to poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem so that, so that they understand that we're feeding them Christians. There's no need to do that anymore. It's just not an issue anymore, is it? It's, it's a very old issue. Nobody thinks that you have to be Jewish to be Christian anymore. In fact, in fact, if anything, people think the opposite now. People think Jewish people can't be Christians, which is just crazy when you think that Jesus was a Jew. A sense in which this doesn't apply, but having said all that, there's plenty in what Paul says here that does apply to us. 
So in the light of this passage, let, let me ask you some questions this morning to think about your own life. Let me ask you some questions. First question. Do you know what it is to have this indescribable gift that Paul is talking about here? God is offering you an indescribably wonderful gift. I don't know what you think a Christian is. Maybe you think a Christian is a person who comes to church or a person who's a good person or something like that. Fundamentally, that's not what it is. God is offering us a gift and a Christian is a person who receives the gift. Just jump back with me for a second to chapter 8 and verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. It should just be a flick across the page with your eyes. Chapter 8, verse 9. And Paul describes God's generous gift to us in this section. Chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Can you see what that's saying? Jesus was rich, not, not with money, but with a perfect relationship with God in heaven. For our sakes, it says, Jesus became poor, he became a man, and, and on that cross he took on himself our ruined relationship with God, our sin and its consequences. And so now, through what Jesus did, through his poverty, through his death on the cross, we can become rich, rich with an eternal perfect relationship with God in heaven. Do you see what it's saying? All our wrong, wrongdoing, forgiven and pardoned. That's the gift. Have you received that gift? Have you asked Jesus to take away the poverty of your sin? Have you asked Jesus to, to forgive you, to, to pardon you, so that you stand right with God? As we symbolised in baptism earlier, so that you can be washed clean from your sin, able to enter God's heaven. Have you received that gift? Friends, friends God is offering you an indescribably good gift today. Can I invite you to accept it? A second question. If you've received God's generous gift, let me ask you this second question. Is it transforming you? Is Jesus changing your life? Is there, to quote Paul, an obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ? Most Aussies say that they believe the stuff about Jesus. I think it's something like 60 or 70% say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is son of God, that kind of thing. The problem is, it doesn't make any difference in their lives. They might say they believe, but they're kidding themselves. They're kidding themselves. Is Jesus transforming you? In particular, on the basis of this passage, let me ask you about generosity. Is Jesus transforming you into a generous person? I mean, what better way to show that we have received such generosity from God than to be generous ourselves? Very strange to, to, to accept all this generosity from God and then be a stinge with other people or a miser with other people. For the Corinthians, their generosity was a great way to prove the reality of Jesus in their lives. The same is true today, so how's it going? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you generous with your time and your money and your life? Are you like that joyful, godly, fat fellow in Psalm 112, trusting in God, giving freely? I've got to say, I've been really challenged by this this week. We've got kids in private schools now. Money's getting a bit tight. I can feel myself becoming a stinge, counting all the money as there's too much month left at the end of the money, uh, worrying about what's going to happen, worrying about, you know, the, it's an ugly, narrow, pinched way to live, isn't it? Do I trust in God? Is Jesus transforming me? It's been a big question. The final question is this. 
do you realise the benefits of generosity? Let me remind you of three quick benefits here. Number one, it'll enrich your trust in God. If you're a good miser and you, and, and you make lots of money from it, it'll enrich your trust in your miserliness. But if you're trusting in God to give and being generous, and as he keeps providing for you, it'll strengthen your trust in him. Number two, it'll enrich your righteousness as you give generously and as you see how good it is, how, 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 how excellent it is to do good with what you have, it'll make you want to do it more and you'll actually change into a person who is generous. It'll enrich your righteousness. Number three, it'll enrich your relationships. For the Corinthians, it enriched their relationships with Jerusalem. It'll enrich our relationships as well. It's very simple. People like a generous person. They don't like a stinge. It's not just that they want your money. It's actually the generous people are nicer to be around. All right, let's conclude. Most of us like the idea of generosity. Most of us prefer a generous person to a miser. But the fact is it requires sacrifice. It's not that easy in practice. So here's the Christian way to generosity. Number one, receive the generosity of God. Rely on his gift to us in Jesus. Number two, let it transform you. Let God's generosity to us inspire us to be generous with other people. And then number three, enjoy the benefits. Enjoy the benefits of seeing God provide for us, of having our faith strengthened, of being changed into generous, content, loved and loving people. Let's not just, let's not just buy a reputation for generosity as cheaply as we can. Let's go for the real thing. Accept God's generosity to us and respond with true life-enriching generosity. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary and wonderful generosity towards us, that you have looked upon us in sin and in death and have loved us and given Jesus to die and rise again in our place. We thank you that through Jesus' death we can be forgiven, washed clean and given all the riches of perfect relationship with you. We pray for each person who is here today that we may know the significance of this, the reality of this, and we pray that we might trust in the Lord Jesus and be transformed by him. Please help us, Father, to, be, to become people who are generous in response to your generosity. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.